This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. Today's headlines, retaliation strikes carried out in Syria. The U.S. military hits multiple targets as payback for a deadly drone attack. Transgender athletes in sports are facing increasing opposition. New rules ban such athletes from women's track and field events. We have the details. U.S. Border Patrol is flying illegal immigrants caught at the northern border down to Texas. And President Biden visits Canada to talk about the immigration crisis, among other issues. Utah is not messing around with social media. Governor Cox called platforms like Facebook and Instagram toxic and signed some new laws to keep kids off them. We speak with an expert on social media addiction and take a look at a TikTok hearing. And in Idaho, a fifth-generation rancher family is working hard to keep tradition alive. They've been ranching in the same area since 1878. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Happy Friday, everybody. It's March 24th, and it's a day after the big hearing. Yes, lawmakers pressed the new TikTok CEO yesterday, resulting in some heated exchanges. They want answers on how big a role the CCP plays at the company. And in Utah, a new social media ban for some is in the spotlight. That's right, and we'll get back to that first. We're starting off with some surprise developments in Syria. The U.S. military carried out multiple airstrikes in Syria last night. They targeted groups aligned with Iran. They blamed them for a drone attack that killed an American contractor and wounded six others, including five U.S. troops. The Pentagon disclosed the attack on U.S. personnel and the retaliation late Thursday. The attack against U.S. personnel took place at a coalition base in northeast Syria on Thursday afternoon. A U.K.-based war monitor says the attacks killed 11 fighters affiliated with Iran. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says he authorized the strikes at the command of President Biden. U.S. forces stationed in Syria have been targeted by drones before, but fatalities are extremely rare. The attack comes just weeks after the top U.S. General Mark Milley visited northeast Syria. He was there to assess the mission against ISIS and the risk to U.S. personnel. And the clock may be ticking for TikTok. The company's new CEO was in the hot seat yesterday, facing questions from lawmakers. Democrats and Republicans are pushing a new bill in Congress, but could it bring about an outright ban of the Chinese regime-affiliated social media app? Entity's Melina Wisecup has more from Capitol Hill. The exchange overall was very heated with lawmakers persistent in trying to pry answers out of TikTok CEO on things such as how much influence the Chinese Communist Party has over the platform, data collection, as well as how TikTok decides which content to promote and which content to bury. Take a look at this. It's a good representation of how much of today's question and answer unfolded. How do you determine what age they are then? to go through the videos that they post to see whether... Well, that's creepy. Tell me more about that. Do they have access to user data? 
We have, after Project Texas is done, the answer is no. Chu repeatedly pointed to Project Texas. That's TikTok's plan to store user data on American soil. This is the this is a way they're trying to say that they're distancing themselves from the CCP, but lawmakers are not buying it. I followed up with members after today's hearing, asking if they believe that TikTok is independent of the Chinese regime. We heard unity from Republicans and Democrats alike. Here's a look. I think it's difficult to see with a Chinese-based company how they couldn't influence content that would be pushed out to American consumers. Their parent company, ByteDance, has representatives that are actively some of the highest-ranking officials within the Communist Party in China. And we know this is a very popular app, especially among young people. What is your message to Americans who are using this app and may not be aware of the threat that it poses? I, I've heard repeatedly that people say, listen, I don't care if they have my data, but it's so much more than just their personal data. They're tracking your geolocation, their biometric data of people, and then they're using it for nefarious purposes. Facebook and Instagram um, that do much of the same thing. But the big difference is, what is the relationship with China? And the White House shares this sentiment. National Security Spokesperson John Kirby telling NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao that the president's concerns over TikTok remain. Listen to this. We're banning it. It is banned on uh, government devices. That's not going to change. Uh, there is an ongoing Committee on Foreign Investment a review of TikTok. While other lawmakers raise concerns about TikTok's political influence here in America. This is no nothing more than psychological warfare on our children. I am. I, I'm concerned with the amount of social control that uh, Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party exercises over their population. I'm fearful uh, for people of, in the rest of the world as well. And momentum is growing here on Capitol Hill on a bill that would allow the U.S. to ban TikTok on a national scale. A bipartisan bill was introduced recently by both Republicans and Democrats, and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was asked about this just yesterday. He said he was looking at this bill to see exactly how to move forward. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Another way TikTok is influencing our lives is mental health. Maybe you've heard of the term TikTok brain. We're bringing in Dr. Chloe Carmichael for more on this. She's on the advisory board of Women's Health magazine and is also a US Today, USA Today best-selling author. Her latest book is titled Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. Good morning, doctor. Uh, there seems to be a little bit of an audio issue here. Are we able to hear the doctor? Sorry, I had myself on mute. Good morning. It's good to be with you. <laughs> no worries. Happens. All right. Um, so there is a, a that ongoing worry that TikTok could add to the mental health crisis we already have. Now, what's the connection there with TikTok specifically and our mental health? Sure. Well, TikTok can be particularly stimulating. It's known for being a place that can be a little edgy. And while that can be very exciting, especially for youth, it can also actually destabilize our sense of social norms and create a false sense of consensus about what's normal or what's expected of us or ever raising the bar for attention-seeking behaviors. And of course, teenagers are known for that. So it can almost egg them on into crazier or more destabilized social norms. That's interesting. Nick. Can you go into a little bit more depth about what, what the risks are of scrolling for hours to get those dopamine hits? Like, what does that do to a person? And, you know, especially when it comes to kids whose brains are still developing. 
Yes, that's a really good point, especially with kids whose brain is still developing and they're still regulating what it is to get, say, for example, you mentioned dopamine. And we do get dopamine when we make a post and then we get a lot of likes. It's the equivalent of somebody turning around and saying, hey, you look great today or I notice you. That feels good and it provides dopamine in the brain, which can be addictive enough for adults. But for children, that can be even more addictive because their brain is still wiring around it. And then with TikTok always, you know, having their algorithm such that it's ever serving increasingly out there content to people, it can be particularly dangerous for children because children are still learning about social norms in the first place. Their sense of reality and social norms is more malleable. So it could impact their sense of reality in the, uh, in the future. That's what you're saying? Well, their sense of reality about how people relate or, you know, what works in life. So if you have somebody on TikTok saying, you know, the way that I make myself happy is X, Y, Z, and it's something totally crazy that would never really actually be sustainable or provide fulfillment in the long run, mm. there's no reality check on that because the child is only seeing this, you know, as a 10 second or 30 second clip and they don't have a chance to observe, you know, that person is actually kind of a strange person. The things that they say don't really actually work out for them. All they see is some edited little 30 second clip. So it can distort the child's sense of reality about what kinds of life decisions lead to fulfillment and productivity. Uh, gotcha. And now how do we best control our time on TikTok then? Well, when it comes to children, I would say simply don't be on it. And, you know, the same thing I would probably say for adults as well, but it's particularly important for children for some of the reasons that we just discussed. But if you're going to be on it and you just want to try to limit the addictive quality of it, there's a few things you can do. One is to at least, you know, you could delete the app and then just reinstall it at times that you want to use it. You could at the very least also put the app into a folder on the desktop desktop of your phone so that it's not just one single click away. People tend to go into those apps when they're feeling bored or insecure. So the more little layers you can put in there so you're not mindlessly grabbing it, like mindlessly eating a bag of potato chips, the more consciousness that we can bring to what you're doing, the better. One other tip that can be helpful for people of all ages is to keep a call list of friends and family that you want to call and connect with that you feel like you never have time to do. And this is because a lot of people turn to those apps for social connection or social validation because it seems like that's what they're getting, even though they're actually really not. They're spending, quote, time with people that they've never met who don't care about them. So by keeping a list of people that you want to call when you have that urge for TikTok, you'll make it a lot easier to redirect yourself onto true, actual, nourishing, wholesome social connection, which is oftentimes what we're really craving when we go to TikTok. Right, right. And I think those are really valid and good points. So thank you so much, Dr. Chloe Carmichael. I appreciate it. Thank you. And on the same topic, Utah has become the first U.S. state where kids need their parents' permission to use social media platforms like Facebook. Governor Spencer Cox signed two new laws yesterday. Our administration is very concerned about how social media is affecting our children. Youth rates of depression and other mental health issues are on the rise, and social media companies know their products are toxic. They designed their apps to be addictive. As leaders and as parents, we have a responsibility to protect our young people.
The new laws will also make it easier to sue social media companies for damages. Users will have to submit proof of age before opening a social media account. Anyone under 18 would need permission from a parent to sign up for sites like TikTok and Instagram. The laws also prohibit minors from using social media between the hours of 10.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m. Tech industry lobbyists are calling the laws unconstitutional. They say they violate people's right to free speech online. The U.S. and Canada have reached a deal to cope with illegal immigration at the northern border. President Biden is in Canada to meet with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. They're expected to announce details of the agreement today. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the situation at the northern border. A face-to-face meeting between the two countries' leaders took place Thursday to discuss issues like illegal immigration. Revisions to the Safe Third Country Agreement are expected to be announced Friday. That's the agreement that allows U.S. and Canadian officials to turn back illegal immigrants at formal ports of entry. It didn't previously apply to unofficial crossings like Quebec's Roxham Road. The unofficial entry point has become a route of choice for illegal crossings. The new agreement would expand the pact so that it applies to the entire length of the border. Now illegal crossers caught using those unofficial entry points will be turned back. There's been a sharp increase in illegal crossings in both directions along the Canadian border in recent months. U.S. Border Patrol stopped nearly 3,000 people crossing illegally into the U.S. from Canada in the last five months. That's more than all of fiscal year 2022. It's been reported that U.S. authorities have been flying illegal immigrants caught trying to cross the U.S.-Canada border to Texas. U.S. Border Patrol has quietly transported around 100 illegal immigrants this month on two charter flights from Plattsburgh, New York, near the border with Canada, to the cities of Harlingen and El Paso. But the southern border is already overwhelmed with a record high spike of illegal entries. A U.S. Border Patrol agent says apprehensions of illegal immigrants in the El Paso sector at the U.S.-Mexico border increased by over 150% between October and February. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. From immigration to sports, new rules coming out on transgender athletes in sports. The world governing body of track and field is banning transgender athletes from women's events. The council has agreed to exclude male to female transgender athletes who have been through male puberty from female world ranking competitions from March the 31st uh, this year. World Athletics President Sebastian Coe said, we must maintain fairness for female athletes above all other considerations. The organization reached the decision after discussion with member federations, other sports organizations and human rights groups. However, the ban is not permanent. The sports governing body says they will evaluate the issue over the next 12 months. The new rules will also impact athletes with what is known as differences in sex development. An example would be a female athlete with male chromosomes and high testosterone levels. The new rules will require these athletes to take testosterone-reducing medication and maintain low levels of the hormone for two years before they are cleared to compete. Georgia has now banned most cross-sex procedures and hormone replacement therapies for children. Governor Brian Kemp signed the new law yesterday. Kemp issued a statement saying that it is the responsibility of Georgians, parents and elected leaders to safeguard a bright, promising future for kids. Opponents say the new law is an unconstitutional infringement on parents' rights. Doctors would still be able to prescribe medicines to block puberty under the Georgia law, which takes effect July 1st. Minors who are already receiving hormone therapy will be allowed to continue. 
Supporters say the law prevents children from making decisions they might later regret. And just ahead, Kasha's Corner is back with a new season. The first episode of season seven premieres tonight. Host Kash Patel and Yanya Kellick delve into the grand jury Trump investigation and what it might be distracting from. We bring you a sneak peek. A U.S. company was raided in China. It comes before an economic forum is scheduled to start this weekend. Find out what's known so far about the incident after the break. Good to have you back with us. A federal appeals court has upheld the blocking of President Biden's executive order on the COVID-19 vaccine. The order required all federal employees to be vaccinated against the illness. The ruling reversed a Fifth Circuit panel decision that had upheld the vaccination requirement. The decision maintains the status quo for federal employees. It upholds a preliminary injunction that blocked the vaccine mandate. Biden issued his executive order in September 2021. It forced nearly 4 million federal employees or contractors to get the vaccine. If they didn't, they faced discipline or firing. Exemptions were made for religious or medical reasons. And now moving on to the Manhattan grand jury's investigation into former President Trump. Questions are swirling over how close the jury is to concluding and if they will even be bringing an indictment against Trump. Kash Patel and Dianya Kielek sit down to talk about the case on Kash's Corner. The first episode of season seven premieres tonight. Here's a sneak peek from the upcoming show. This grand jury has now heard from A, Michael Cohen, a convicted federal felon whose bias and animosity for the target of this investigation is well known versus Costello, this career prosecutor, former federal prosecutor, now private attorney with an established record, no criminal history, representing some of the most high profile clients in New York State criminal history, um, comes out and says, swinging, literally says, the things that defeat any potential prosecution in my mind. Michael Cohen said, and I'm summarizing, he did this on his own, did this payment on his own. He did not notify President Trump about it, and he did it quietly to keep things quiet. And the, the, and Costello provided documentation and emails to back that up that he, I'm guessing, took as a lawyer in lifetime notes with his client and, and other matters. What was shocking to me was not just that bit of testimony that completely contradicts what Michael Cohen has said, but that he held up a, a, a ream of paperwork that he said he gave to federal prosecutors and that he gave to this grand jury and that Alvin Bragg only used some six pages of hundreds of pages of documentation. Now, let's be clear, as a prosecutor, you are allowed to select your evidence, but as a prosecutor, you're not allowed to withhold evidence of innocence or something that might be damaging to your case to the grand jury you're presenting to. And that's essentially what Costello said. He said, why have you, the grand jury, not seen all of this information that I've testified about? I have it recorded. It's here for you to hold and read. That, to me, is, is a pretty, if it proves out that that's what actually happened, is an abuse of prosecutorial powers. And Alvin Bragg has now put himself in the crosshairs, though I don't think anyone's actually going to investigate him because it's New York, um, about prosecutorial misconduct. If you have information about a potential charge and you withhold it from the grand jury, that is illegal. Some people think that this whole thing was actually a distraction from bigger things, which you know, some of which we're going to talk gonna about to, later. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
Now, I don't want to spoil too much, but they also delve into the developing relationships between China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Russia. I believe they might also be talking about the declassified Russiagate files that are still in limbo. You can watch the full episode tonight at Epic TV. It premieres at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And we're going over to yet another train derailment, but this one has people scratching their heads. Five freight train cars mysteriously derailed in Ayer, Massachusetts while they were parked. There were no hazardous materials being hauled and no reported injuries. For an unknown cause, the two uh, double stack containers on one of the trains toppled over and it seems to have uh, ended up pulling four others over environmentally. There's no issues. There is a waterway next to this um, where the containers are at, but we put booms in as a precaution, uh, but there's no leaking uh, contents out of the containers. From what I understand, it doesn't sound like anyone was hurt or injured, which is great news, uh, but it is concerning. Air is a significant train junction, and uh, it makes you wonder what the protocols are for safety and, uh, and the condition of the rails themselves. Authorities say the freight cars toppled over at about 11.30 a.m. Thursday. They were carrying sealed containers of trash and recycling material. CSX Transportation is invest investigating the cause of the accident and said the cars derailed on a line jointly owned with Norfolk Southern. The Air Fire Department chief said it may take a day or two to get things back to normal. And Chinese authorities raided a U.S. company in Beijing this week. The, corp the corporate due diligence firm Mintz Group announced yesterday that five of its staff were detained during the raid. Mintz Group says it will cooperate with Chinese authorities to come to a resolution. According to its website, the company specializes in background checking, fact-gathering, and internal investigations and has only one office in mainland China. Mintz Group expressed that the safety and well-being of its employees in China is at the forefront. News of the raid emerged as Beijing gears up for its three-day China Development Forum. That starts tomorrow. The event will host executives and representatives from multiple international organizations. Neither the Chinese Foreign Ministry nor Beijing's Public Security Bureau responded to an immediate request for comment. And coming up, a fifth-generation rancher family is working to keep tradition alive. They've been at it for over 140 years. We have that story after the break. Welcome back. In Idaho, a fifth-generation rancher family is working hard to carry on the practice in the traditional way. The family has been ranching in the area since 1878. Let's take a look. 39-year-old Ryan Bedk is a fifth-generation cattle rancher based in Idaho. His great-great-grandfather immigrated from Germany and started ranching in the region in 1878. The massive ranch is spread over 100,000 acres in southern Idaho and northeast Nevada. I work with my dad and my uncle and my cousin and some hired guys. I have six kids and they all, well except for the youngest, come and help me from time to time on the ranch. And uh, we, like I say, we've been ranching for over 140 years and just last year we started selling our beef direct to consumers. When Beck's children reach the age of nine, they become bona fide cowboys and cowgirls. He has five sons and one daughter, aged from one to 12 years. Well, I was able to take kids with me almost every day of the year for a couple years. 
I start them when they're young. My uh, five-year-old drives the tractor for me while I feed the hay off, and the older ones come with me when we gather cows. They ride their horse and come and participate and all that. The Becks also promote their family business of grass-fed and grain-finished dry-aged meat through social media. The father says it's not easy to keep things going in the current times with inflation, but he emphasizes that each generation faced different challenges. My great-grandfather was here during the Depression, and my grandfather and father and uncle spent time during the 80s and 90s where cattle prices were really, really low. And we're currently dealing with inflation and there's just different things that you have to adapt to. Beck wasn't always a rancher. He went to college and worked as a salesman and a sales manager in different cities for five years. It took marriage and parenthood for the young couple to return to rural life. When you've been doing this as long as we have, it, it almost feels like it's part of your part of your blood, part of your just who you are as, as, a, as a cattle rancher. And I love the animals and I love the land and feel strongly about it. So what does Beck think are the biggest lessons of being a cattle rancher? The big things that you learn on the ranch is you just do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. You, you have priorities. The animals are our priority. That's how we make a living. And so it doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter if you're sick. It doesn't matter. Beck says that his forefathers shared a collective intent to keep the property intact rather than splitting it up and his family has decided to pass the ranch on intact to one child. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do, huh? Taking care of all those living beings, those lives on the ranch, it's a ton of responsibility. Yeah, and a ton of work, too. Are you up for it? You got the big, broad shoulders for that job? <laughs> Maybe if I've been there for one or two months, I'll grow into it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to learn more about what life is like for the Betkas and their family business, you can check out their website at hatbrandbeef.com. Bedka says people want to learn more about where their food comes from, and he thinks that it's a great time to step in and be open about the whole process. And I think I'd agree with him. All right, uh, that's it from us this week. You can always write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.